1: Hello, everybody. Nice to see you all. Nice to see you all back in this uh, Monday, 6 p.m. Slot's been a while. I uh, hope everybody had a nice Passover. Um, I, was, I was in Israel and uh, I'm just still getting re, uh, recalibrated here, but it's really good to be back with you all. Um, and we're gonna do a thing that now um, we've been doing for three years, which is an incredible thing to have a, a tradition uh, this established here at Ikar. It's a tradition which exists all over the Jewish world, which is to study um, ethics during this time, specifically to study Pirkei Avot, the tractate of the Mishnah, the first rabbinic code, which was compiled in the, uh, at the, the, the beginning of the, of the third century, 220 uh, of the Common Era, um, to study this particular tractate, which, Um, we sometimes call the ethics of the fathers, right? Which is to say that it's known as the collection of of rabbinic ethics. Um, To study it during this time between Passover and Shavuot. There are seven weeks between Passover and Shavuot. In fact, Shavuot means weeks. And there are six chapters of Pirkei Avot. And the idea is to study in between all those six chapters. Um, We've done it now for three years at Ikar, So that's, that's called a chazaka. In Jewish tradition, we have an established tradition here, and because Pirkei Avot is so so widely studied and so frankly be- beloved um, by Jewish um, learners uh, throughout our history, um, it, there are there are myriad commentaries on Pirkei Avot in particular, and so uh, it's a it's also a, it's a good opportunity to. To see what some of the core principles the rabbis held um, were, and to reflect on them, um, but it's also a good chance to um, use this tractate to get a window into all kinds of different um, Jewish perspectives. And so, what we've done is to each year take a particular uh, a particular view of Pirkei Avot, a particular commentary. So, the first year that we did it, we we studied the Mishnah, the 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 text itself, and then we looked at um, a, an expanded rabbinic commentary called A Vot de Rabbi That's sort of like the Talmud on Pirkei, Av. Pirkei Avot. does not have Talmud on it, as other tractates of the Mishnah do, um, in part because it isn't uh, a legal uh, tractate, so there, isn't, there aren't laws to be worked out. Um, uh, but there is this midrash about the Rebbe and we looked at that together the first year that we studied together. That was like COVID had just hit, and we were just putting classes online. Um, the second year, last year that we did it, um, we looked at all of uh, all of our the commentaries we looked at were Hasidic thinkers and the kind of mystic uh, mystics approach to some of these ethical teachings. And this year, I'm very excited that we're going to. Um, the, our tour through Pirkei Avot is going to be um, uh, guided by the commentary, one of the great commentaries on Pirkei Avot, the commentary of the Maharal of Prague. Um, I, I'll I'll say more about him later, but his commentary is called Der Chaim, the path of life. Right? So that's what I titled this series. We're going to do this five times. And, uh, and he's going to take us down what he calls the path of life. I, I want... Just Just before we begin, um, to intro our series with a beautiful Midrash that explains both why we do this. Why are we studying ethics right now? Um and also uh, that gives a little bit of a clue as to why the Maharal would call this this study, the path of life. What does he mean by that? Okay. Um, so uh, the let's let me let me get a link here to our source sheet and i'll share with you this midrash. Like I said i'll say more about the Maral himself later, but just to give us uh, a kind of a broad a broad thought to head in um, let's take a look at this first uh, source on our source sheet, and here is a source sheet for y'all to look at. And um, this is a midrash from um, the great collection of midrash, midrash Rabbah. This is from Leviticus Rabbah. And um, the reason, before we look at it, the reason that we study ethics at this time, one of the one of the, the classic explanations is a very famous saying in Jewish tradition, which is Derech Eretz Kadma Torah, which means literally, um, well. Let me, let me half translate it first. Derek Eretz comes before Torah. Now what is derech Eretz? Well, there are a lot of translations for Derek Eretz, but it means literally the way of the world. And it seems to refer to some principles of common basic decency. You gotta know just kind of just how to live in the world before you start studying Torah. And that already feels like, oh, there are some common ethics, some universal ethics that we need to be grounded in before we get into the particular uh, mandates of our religion, which is a way of saying that there is there's a good and there's a right and wrong that is bigger than just what the Torah teaches, which is already quite a radical thing for our tradition to say. Um, okay, um, so Derek Eretz Kadma Torah, Derek Eretz, the the good common decency comes before Torah. Now that saying, it's, it's usually said that way, but it actually the, the original source for it does not say it exactly that way. This is the original source for that. And it's a beautiful uh, teaching that phrases it somewhat differently. So let me, uh, let me screen share that now. It's the first source on the, on the source sheet I just gave you. And this is it. Um, Rabbi Yishmael, son of Rav Nachman said this, Derek Eretz, the way of the world, preceded the Torah by 26 generations. So it doesn't say Derek Eretz comes before the Torah, but Derek Eretz came before the Torah, came before the Torah, which at 26 generations, that seems like what, what, what Rabbi Ishmael is saying is, oh, there was, there, was, there was a lot that happened before the Torah was given. There was some way of living that existed in the world going all the way back to Adam and Eve. So they had to come. The Abraham didn't have the Torah. Isaac didn't have the Torah. Jacob didn't have the Torah. They had to have some way of living before the Torah came around. So there was a way of living. Okay, so that's, that's part of where this, that's what it's been sort of paraphrased. Derich Eretz came first. And part of, of what that must mean then, I said, there's a universal ethic and that's an important thing for us to recognize, but also this universal ethic speaks, I think, I think this midrash is suggesting speaks to the way that we relate, not just to each other as Jews, but to everyone in the world right to to those who came before there was a Judaism right To, to the to the Adam and Eve values to the basic human values, so that. That is, a, I think, a powerful statement as to why we're doing this all together. Before we get to the Torah, and I keep saying before the Torah, why am I saying that? Because Shavuot is the holiday on which we celebrate receiving the Torah. So in this time when we are leading up to that holiday, we prepare ourselves by grounding ourselves in basic human ethics, okay? Now, um, that is an explanation of why we're doing this. There's an, the, the Midrash continues, and here I think you can you get a little a little clue as to why the Maharal, who we'll come back to at the end of our class, calls his book the Derech Hayim which is slightly different the not the way of the world, but the way of life or the path of life, Derech Chaim. And here again is the is the Midrash, here's the second part of it. So it is written, this is another proof that Derech Eretz comes before the Torah. It is written after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, there were two kind of mythic creatures, cherubs, placed at the gate to the Garden of Eden, and they were there in order to guard the way to the Tree of Life, so that Adam and Eve could not have access any longer to the Tree of Life, which would grant them eternal life. Okay, now, that's, a, that's a quite, of a, quite a, an opaque uh, image. It's hard to, hard to understand what it means, but this Midrash gives us Um, some, some meaning to the words, the way to the tree of life and the Midrash says the way, which is derech, zo derech Eretz, that's derech Eretz. And then afterwards, the tree of life, we, we know well, is called the Torah. So since in the sentence, the way comes before the tree of life, so the way of the world, derech Eretz, comes before Torah. All right, so there's another proof that the way of the world or basic human ethics comes before Torah, but you can also see that all these words kind of put together. gives us the title of the Maharal's commentary, which is Dera Chaim, the way of life now that's just to say that the Maharal seems to be suggesting to us that the way of the path of life is the path to the Torah, but you don't get to the Torah. Except through Derek Eretz. So the way to the Torah is through universal human ethics, right? As I as I've been calling it, or just the way of the world, or just, just common decency. Okay. So that is that is all to say that we are, we're heading towards revelation, we're heading towards Torah, we're heading towards the particulars of our faith. But this is a good time to take a step back from the particulars of our faith and just think about just what what it means to live as a person, live well as a person in the world, okay? So now let's begin that study. We are a week behind. Uh, We should have started last Monday, the first Monday after Passover, but I was just way too jet-lagged and it's hard to get anything started right after Passover. Um, So we're a week behind, we'll have five sessions and not six. And so we have, to. are we just gonna miss the first chapter? I, I, I would feel bad doing that, right? But we're on to the second chapter. We're we gonna miss the second chapter. We can't do that either. So we have to do both. And there is an easy way to unite the two chapters. And that is that there's one figure who appears prominently in both chapters. Uh, chapter after chapter, there's just sayings from the rabbis. Rabbi Tarfun says this, Rabbi Akiva says this, um, Rabbi uda Nasi says this, Rabbi Shimon Ben Gamliel says this but in the first chapter and in the second chapter, there are major chunks from one very famous and important sage who's not even called a rabbi and that is Hillel, not Hillel the Chazen, but Hillel the Elder, Hillel Zaken, very famous figure, so famous that they named, they named Hillels after him, right? The, the whole organization is named after this figure and uh, he, he is, one of the defining figures in our tradition for many, 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 many reasons. Um, just, just to give a few, um, Hillel uh, is said to have found one of the, the two, schools, two major schools in ancient Israel that began debating with one another in the style that we come to think of as preceding the Talmud. Right. They, so they are the Hillel and the school of Hillel, the house of Hillel, they called it, and then Shammai is sort of uh, his sort of sparring partner or adversary. Shammai was, and the house of Shammai, those two were um, began to debate what the law was, and they had very different perspectives on the law. And the Talmud even says they really started debate in Israel before that. We kind of knew what the tradition was but the tradition had been going on for so long that people began to disagree over what exactly the law was and so hillel hadn't had a perspective on the law and shammai had a perspective on the law and their students had um different styles of approaching the law and um and so we get debates over the law and that's basically what our tradition is is debate and 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 argumentation over how to live over what the law is and that's that's Torah. That's the particulars of Jewish living. But Hillel is the person that always wins. <laughs> the school of Hillel is almost always the school that we go like, that we go by. Uh, there are some exceptions to this, but it's like debate after debate after debate, but it's almost a rule that, we, that, that when we decide what the law is, we decide like Hillel. Now, why is that? Well, that he maybe he was right a lot but the talmud famously says that hillel hillel we go like hillel because hillel was able to to teach and understand the other position and was humble about his his presentation right so there was something about hillel that was not just correct legally but was correct ethically morally and so there's something about hillel that embodies not just a mastery of the tradition, but a certain kind of ethical uh, decency, a certain kind of ethical valor that, that causes us to drift in his direction, okay? So he's a good person to start with. And as I said, he appears prominently in both the first chapters, which are organized in different chronologies. I won't get into that now, but Hillel is, it figures importantly in both of those, those chronologies. Just a couple of more words about Hillel before we look at some of his teachings. Um, he was uh, born in the, I think I want to say like 110 before the common era. So that would be second century BCE, right? And lives just a, like, if, if it's correct that he lived to 120 years, he lived just into the beginning of the, the first century of the common era. And um, he was born in, in Babylon, in Bavel, but then made Aliyah, came into Israel. Um, And there are many, many ways to characterize Hillel. I've already given you a sense of it that Shammai is considered the stricter opinion, Hillel often the more lenient. Shammai is considered the more severe character and Hillel the more generous and accommodating and humble. But this year, and here I arrive at our topic for today, this year I noticed something else about Hillel. Something particular about Hillel and his teachings in Pirkei Avot that I think um, makes for a a perfect place to start in thinking about what it means to live in the world, the way of the world. What does it mean to live with other human beings? And that is, I noticed this year that Hillel's very earliest formative teachings, which we're going to see tonight, carry a distinctly communitarian spirit. That one of the Hillel, the things that Hillel is saying right out the gate is that the community matters and that you have to be a part of the community and that you have to foster the well-being of the community and that your eyes have to be on the whole, all of the people and not the self. Okay. So let me give you now a couple of teachings that really really that prominently make this point and then i'll give you a couple more that maybe maybe fill it in and then we'll open up our conversation and try to under what we're going to try to do in the first part of our class before we come to the maharal is try to understand what what exactly is hillel saying what is his approach to what i would call communitarianism that is not individualism but communitarianism that the community is paramount Okay, so two very important teachings that Hillel starts with, one from the first chapter, I'm checking my boxes here, and one from the second chapter. So let's take a look. Um, these are very, 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 very famous teachings. Hillel's teachings are some of the most, in fact, we're gonna see one later that is maybe the most famous, maybe the most famous Mishnah of all, which is im ein mili. If I am not for myself, who will be for me? Vim anilatsmi mani. And if I am only for myself, what am I? And that you can already hear some communitarian thinking in that, but we'll get to that in a sec. So let's, um, let's take a look here. Okay. So Hillel used to say, Hillel Omer, be of the disciples of Aaron, be like Aaron, the high priest. Now there's a lot of debate over why Aaron is chosen as this to represent Hillel's ethic here, but we're not going to talk about it too much tonight. We did that our first year and you can go back and dig the, you know, find those classes, but be like the disciples of Aaron, be an Aaron person. Maybe it's like in contrast to Moses, right? But let, we're not going to speculate tonight, but these are the teachings and it's the bolded one in particular that I want to pay attention to, although they're all relevant. Oh, Shalom, loving peace or love peace. Virodef Shalom, pursuing peace. Rodef Shalom. Many big Reform congregation in my area is called Rodef Shalom. Many many congregations are called Rodef Shalom. So be like Aaron, love peace and pursue peace. These teachings seem relevant to our discussion tonight, but it's this one in particular I want to focus us on. Ohev Habriot, loving all people, umekarvan Torah, and drawing them close to Torah. Okay, loving all people. Literally, it's loving all creatures, but I think because he brings them close to Torah, I don't think he means bunny rabbits, right? Now you might say, well, does he mean Jews only or does he mean all people? But uh, briot is a term which usually refers to just humanity, humanity. So loving all people. And, and I think it even works to bring them close to Torah because Hillel has the famous story where someone comes from another nation and wants to convert and Hillel brings him close to Torah. So I think the way to read this is love all people. Now, that is beautiful. You know, Everybody get together, try to love one another, right? That's beautiful. But wait a minute. I mean, wh- that's what you're teaching us right out the gate. Love all people, it's beautiful. But is it possible? Is it possible? I mean, that seems like quite a tall order, okay? So I want us to think about that tonight. What does it mean to, to to start your teaching saying you have to love all people? I don't love all people. I mean, I wish I did, but I don't. So, I mean, that's, I, I try to be a good religious, good person, but love all people. So that's teaching number one. And here's teaching number two, the other very important, in fact, maybe easier to comprehend and, and more commonly spoken of. Uh, the second teaching that I want to really emphasize tonight from Hillel, which is from the second chapter, and that is this, I'm gonna skip one and come back to it. Hillel said in the second chapter, do not separate yourself from the community. Do not separate yourself from the community. Okay. The, the other teachings here may be relevant, but less so. Do not trust in yourself until the day of your death. Do not judge your fellow man until you have reached his place. They may be relevant, but I really want to focus on do not separate yourself from the community. Okay. So love all people seems impossible. Don't separate yourself from the community. That seems possible, but a heavy demand always be with the community don't take yourself out of the community are you a loner too bad right do you want some time alone seems like you're saying too bad do not separate yourself from the community okay so i'm soon going to open it up for your interpretation these are the main things i want us thinking about love all people don't separate yourself from the community but hillel as i said teaches a a few things and we're not going to look at them all tonight but there are a couple of other things that hillel says that i think amplify or, or, um, or at least fill in this, com- what I'm calling a communitarian ethic. Um, one of them we already spoke about, which is this. If I am not for myself, now, okay, so this is a main teaching from chapter one and a sub teaching from chapter one, um, but maybe relevant. If I'm not for myself, who is for me, now that does seem individualistic or at least concerns the self, but if I am only for myself, what am I? And then the, and then the famous last line, and if not now, when? OK, so that, this, 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 uh, this seems relevant. If I am only for myself, what am I? But there's a counter teaching. But I, I have to be for myself also. So how do we work that in? And just one last teaching, which I, as I was thinking along these lines, these communitarian lines, couldn't help but notice that the last thing, and this is one of my favorite uh, Mishnayot in, in Pirkei Avot, but it's very weird. Hilla, the last thing they say is that he saw a skull, this is a, now chapter two, main teaching, do not separate yourself from the community, sub-teaching that I think is relevant. He saw a skull floating in the water, in the, on the face of the water, ra'a gulgolet achad And he spoke to the skull floating in the water. And what he said was, because you drowned others, they drowned you. And in the end, they that drowned you will be drowned. Okay. Okay, that, I don't know if it's relevant. I don't know. But it seems like there's some sort of what goes around, comes around, the way we treat each other, be careful what you do comes back to, so it may be relevant. Okay, and as I say those things, I want to say the, the last thing that may be relevant to Hillel's philosophy, Hillel's communitarian ethic, um, is that, that passage from the Talmud that I mentioned, where someone comes to Hillel and says, I want to convert to Judaism, if you can teach me the Torah while standing on one foot, famous, famous passage in the Talmud, and what Hillel's, Shammai, by the way, Hillel's adversary, swings a, a stick at him and says, get out of here, you disrespect, teach the old Torah on one foot, how dare you? But what Hillel says is, "Da what is hateful to you, to your friend, do not do. It's kind of the golden rule, but it's not do unto others as you would have them do. It's what is hateful to you, do not do to your friend. Okay, that also seems relevant. Okay, so now i'd like to hear some of your thoughts on what are we seeing here, what is Hillel's philosophy or position, what is his ethic around the Community, when he tells us most primarily to love all people. And do not separate yourself from the Community, both of which I submit are are very tall orders Okay, so any thoughts on this anybody want to offer any interpretations of the communitarianism that we've seen so far open this up uh, if anyone has some thoughts yeah el nice to see you
2: to see you. i think the love is not a feeling but rather action act with love and i think it's related to don't see yourself as apart from the community like those trees that look like they're many trees but they really are one tree we are one we are amahad and so don't, not to see yourself as disconnected from your, your family member, which is all the human family, is not that different from act with love to everyone.
1: Okay, all right. So Yael implicitly is struggling with something that I think we ought to struggle with here in this teaching, which is how can you possibly command a feeling to begin with? and what does it mean? You must love all people. I don't. Well, I, like there's a dilemma there. And Soya El says, "This is a this is a, a way of living to live lovingly towards people." And so, and some of the great commentaries say exactly that. Exactly that. Rabbi, Rabbi Yona says, "Love people in the way that you treat them. Treat people with respect and love." Great. And um and um. Not a, Ya'el offers another answer to the question of how can you command a feeling, which is that it's not a feeling, it's a perspective, it's a statement of, of kind of reality that we are all creatures, we are all humans, we are all the same. You must love others because we are all connected. Now, el is, is, keep this in mind because when we go to the Maharal Yael's yeah, already anticipating some of some of what the Maharal is going to do with this deck. So very, very well done, very well done. All right, let's take just a couple more, and uh, and then uh, and then we'll we'll see what we uh, see what we're we're beginning to come up with. Matt Silverstein.
2: Um, seems to me that that the yeah you can't do it, but ethics
1: should be a stretch. It, it to say this thing you're doing is right doesn't do anything for me. I'm I'm working towards. They, they should be beyond me. And I also think ethics has to be communitarian.
2: It has to involve other people. There's no such thing as an ethical behavior while I'm sitting in a room. It's oh. only ethical because I'm
1: doing with others. Good, good, good. Okay. I think he's so, just recognizing the truth. So Matt is, I mean, Matt's helping me out a great deal here because th- th- this is, this is what I was, I was uh, uh, pointing towards earlier. This is, this is why this topic seems like such a perfect one for us to start with, because this may be the very definition of ethics is beginning to think about right and wrong on the horizontal plane. We might speak of religious morals as the vertical plane, what you have to do, your obligations to God, But what does it mean to speak about human ethics without thinking of your obligation? It's not just, I mean, it's not just my my conduct inside my house. Am I acting ethically in my house? I mean, doesn't ethics imply that you are in relationship with other beings? So what else to start with, right? Okay, great. Um, Joy Katz, nice to see you. Hello, it's so nice to be here.
3: Um, I was just listening to your sermon, um, the the very latest um podcast, eCarb podcast. And it seems like what Hillel is saying is quite opposite from how you described the, the very observant Jews in Israel, the ones who who wouldn't let you wear blue glasses, like only be together with us and don't in any way um and strive maybe striving is the keyword there like don't manifest any aspect of anything outside of our community. So that seems very exclusive So I'm, uh, like I'm seeing Hillel as just intention with that. And I wondered what you thought of that.
1: Well, I think I think that, the, that what your what the question you're forcing us to raise is what is the community. Because I think that the Haredi community, they, I already said it, they are a community. They would respond, we are all together. We don't ever separate from our block. But the question is, how big do you draw the community? Is it, is it Ikar? Is it uh, progressive Jews? Is it Haredi Jews? Is it Jews? Is it all of humanity? And if it is all of humanity, as as Matt was just suggesting, imp- you know, importantly suggesting, But then it begins to break down, doesn't it? Don't separate yourself from all of humanity. I mean, then again, Hillel did said, love all people, right? And I think Joy is suggesting, do some Jews fall short of of that charge of loving all people? I mean, yes, all all Jews do, all people do. I I certainly do, right? But but yeah, there are questions, there's a real tension here. What, What does it mean to say, you know, that you are beholden to a community when you, then be, when you then start to privilege that community and then that community, there are other communities. So are you not beholden to them? Well, where's your love there? Where's your obligation there? This, in other words, don't separate from the community can be, uh, can be a, a, a universalist ethic or it actually can be a very particularist ethic indeed. Okay. All right. Um, all right, uh, let's where I feels like we're on a roll here so let's and I and, uh, i'm going to try and uh, I see seeing some faces I haven't seen in my classes recently, so I want to try and uh, tap people I haven't seen recently so Bobby Aaron press nice to see you.
2: Oh, can't hear you yet. How about now perfect. I was thinking on a a personal level that the people you come into contact with are a reflection of a whole and if there's a part of them that irritates you um, it's something you should look at that it will make your soul grow. I don't know if that sounds goofy but
1: that doesn't sound goofy. <laughs> that that is also. I, I said this about Yale's comments, and I want to say this about Bobby's as well. Keep Bobby's comments in mind because the Maharal of Prague is going to go in a similar direction. Something about the person standing in front of you is a reflection of, a reminder of something much larger, a whole, some kind of whole or total. That's exactly the language the Maharal is going to use. So let's hold on to that, and we'll circle back to that. Thank you for that. Um, let's see. Uh, We still got some good time here. Let's keep going, Mark Strunen.
4: I hope you can hear me clearly. We got you. Good. Um, This is um, very very rich. I'm I I am I am experiencing a curiosity around what for Hillel is underneath the concept of community. Whether you're looking at the quote from the second chapter, Alti Froschmin Hatsibur. What is the tzibur? And at the same time, loving all people, the quote from the first from the first chapter. It seems as if Hillel has some greater value that he's trying to emphasize. And it has something to do with being together as a community. There's something in the experience of being a community that is. That is multiplying, that is increasing the importance of how we relate to how we relate to each other good and good. and and if I can quickly connect it to the curious um, statement about the skull running down the river, that's really a statement about if I remember the Hebrew correctly, poranut, which is which is um, um, uh, when you when you um, when you get um, what, are, what are the legitimate consequences, and is drowning, which is what that section is about, is is drowning is drowning a punishment that's acceptable through the practice of a community, or is that section of Pirkei Avot coming and saying? Hillel sees a person who was drowned. Hillel says, I know that drowning is something that isn't a practice. And therefore, there's going to be retribution to the people who drowned you. They will be drowned. And that's a message about unethical behavior.
1: Okay. All right. Let me stop you there because you've already given us a lot. I mean, there's really... Okay, there's, in some ways, I, there's like kind of three comments there and I wanna, I wanna underscore them all because they're all important. One is, um, again, Mark's asking the question that Joy asked, which is what is the definition of a what is it? What do we mean by it? Joy asked it in a very broad way and Mark honing in on that word tzibur, um prompts me to give some of the classical answers in the tradition. What does it mean? So Maimonides, Maimonides says, that you should be with the co- community in their time of need. So don't separate from the community might mean when the community has needs, be with the community. When the community is hurting, be with the community. When the community needs solidarity, be with the community. When there's a death or when there's a crisis or be with the community in times of crisis. That's one definition. Um, Rabbeinu Yona, another one of the great medieval commentators suggests that um, don't separate yourself uh, from the community for the purpose of doing mitzvot, for the purpose of carrying out the ritual functions of the community, which is in some ways the a very g- solid answer to give because we use that term tzibor to refer to the, the minion, the prayer community, right? There's the chazan who sings, and then there's the tzibor that responds. The community, the the gathering, the kaha. So it could have a very particular meaning, which is my community, my religious community, my Jewish community, my shtetl, my minyan, my shul, right? So those are some ways that we might answer. But Mark, even asking that question, then goes on to say, but I hear something else in this, which is that don't separate yourself from the community S- seems to um indicate that there's an experience of being in the community of actually feeling like I'm with my community and that's a good experience that you should have and be striving for you should actually feel that way okay and that's something for us to keep in mind as well we'll soon start looking at the maharal and again that let's keep that feeling in mind just one last thing that mark said um that is i think worth worth noting is that uh, There's a difference that we're seeing between some of Hillel's teachings, which speak about potentially attitudes or beliefs about what is true, like an attitude of of love or a belief about what ought to be the, 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 the way of living, the ethic of living, and then a different set of Hillel's teachings, which speaks specifically about consequences, mm-hmm. consequences. What happens if you don't and you'll be drowned too and don't do what's hateful to you. And you know, if you're only for yourself, what's gonna happen to everybody else? There's like a, an indication that part of their there, there attitudes here but there's also ways that this plays out and that's important to keep in mind as well. Okay, um, great. Uh, let's now, I think we're, I wanna make sure we get to the Maharal. Okay, so um, let's turn now to the Maharal and hopefully continue to reflect and comment, but, um, but I, I promised Maharal and I'm, I'm, I, I, would, I would be doing you an, an injustice if I, didn't, if I didn't give you Maharal. So first of all, um, this book um, is actually available, not entirely translated, but there is an art school translation. So let me give you a link to that as well in case anyone wants that. Um, art scroll translation is, here, uh, you know, with all the caveats of Art, art Scroll, which can be sometimes a little um, agenda-driven, but that's, you know, everybody has an agenda. Um, but that's an that's a, a excerpt. Um, I used, and this, if you're a Hebrew reader, this is a wonderful, wonderful edition, um, put together by Yeshua Hartman. Um, and he's done a lot of the Maharal. He really is the expert on the Maharal in the world. Um, who is the Maharal? The Maharal of Prague is one of my favorite Jewish thinkers. He was very popular where I first went to yeshiva and made an impression on me then that has stayed with me always. You may have seen in some of our Facebook posts that I went, to, I went to, to Prague and I went to the Maharal's grave and I went to the famous statue of the Maharal. I was wearing a Maharal T-shirt. I love the Maharal. Who is the Maharal? The Maharal of Prague is, is you know, <clears throat> he's one of, uh, he's famous for uh, a legend Uh, uh, the legend of the golem of creating the kind of Jewish Frankenstein to defend the Jews of Prague from blood libel, because he was the chief rabbi of Prague that's one of his claims to fame. Um, I don't know if I believe in the legend of the golem, but I do believe that the Maharal's most important uh, accomplishment was his voluminous writings. in fact I think you can see a bunch of them you look right above my finger there. At the right shelf, yeah. All of all of these books are the Maharala Prague. there's many, many more of these. And he just wrote so much on, on the one hand, everything, but on the other hand, very specifically, not a lot of legal writings. He was much more interested in the narrative, symbolic, ethical, spiritual, and um, and so he. There's a, you know, there's some some thinkers who just kind of seem to give their entire take on Judaism. Maimonides is certainly one. The Maharal is another. He's one of the great philosophers of Judaism. As a philosopher, one thing you might say about him was that he was platonic or neo-platonic in the sense that he seems to be constantly referencing an ideal higher reality that is above this. the, The world of truth is not this world, it's some higher world. And that is to say that he uh, lived in the um, six, 15, 1500s, and, and then I think maybe into the 1600s, which kind of places him as a Renaissance thinker, which actually works for there was a revival of Platonic thought in the Renaissance um, and a search for a kind of the harmony of the cosmos, you know, like seeing the symbol, the encoded symbols in the world, the ideal world behind the real world. So this is all stuff that that characterizes the Maharal. The other word that I would use to characterize the Maharal's thought is that he was an essentialist. He believed in in essences, also like Plato, meaning everything has an essence. And that means every character in the story, every holiday, every month, every idea, every, every teaching has some deeper, deeper layer, deep meaning, some essence to it. And that's sort of one way to understand the Maharal's um, way of speaking is that he's always searching for the deeper meaning behind what we're, and we're going to soon see him um, doing that with our teachings. Um, and and so he gets pretty abstract. Okay, so brace yourself for that. The last thing I want to say about the Maharal is that he's in Jewish tradition sometimes described as um, uh, Hanistar Bilshon Hanigle. He taught the hidden in the language of the revealed, which means to which means to say that. He, most people suspect that he was a mystic and a Kabbalist, and um, but he didn't write Kabbalah. He wrote in philosophical language, but it seems that his philosophical language was a kind of that there was like he's saying something here that speaks to Jewish mystical tradition. So we can look for that as well. Okay. So now let's take a look that with that as an intro let's take a look at this commentary and what the Maharal will do. We've done some good work in thinking about Hillel's uh communitarian spirit but I want to now we're going to get a taste for this guy that we're going to be carrying with or who will actually be carrying us for the next five weeks um and we're going to take a look first at his commentary on loving all people loving all people and lo- loving peace pursuing peace and loving all people. So. This is what the Maharal says is really going on um, behind loving all people. Oh, hold on. I was just linking to the art scroll. So now let me go back to my source. Okay. All right. So I'll be really curious to see what you think of this kind of thought and what your actions will be. Let's take a look. Here's the Maharal of Prague. Hillel and Shammai, the fifth pair, they were the fifth pair mentioned in that first chapter. The pair means one of them was the one of them was the president or the leader of the community, and one of them was the head of the court. That's the way that that was sort of like president and vice president back in the back in ancient Israel. So Hillel and Shammai, the fifth pair, came to teach an ethic. It's interesting that he includes Shammai in this, but that is the language. Um, they came to teach an ethic founded on an essential principle. And what is that essential principle I said he was an essentialist, Ikar, that's our, the name of our community, Ikar. Ikar is essence, right? So, uh, so he, he, like us, was searching for the, the essence of things. And the essential principle is that the nature of this world is more characterized by machlokit, which can mean debate or simply division than any other thing. Let me just repeat that. The nature of this world is more characterized by division and debate than any other thing. Well, I wanna I want ask, do you, what do you think of that? Do you agree with that? Okay, and, and notice, I already said, he's alluding to a higher world that is that is better, So this world is characterized by division, but maybe there's some great beyond that is not. This world is a world of separation and division, and that is why debate is so prevalent in the world. You can see this from the day the world was created. Division came immediately into the world, from Cain and Abel on. Interesting reference point there. For that is just the nature of the world, all separation and division. He repeats himself a lot. That's why he says, now it's Hillel, that one should strengthen oneself to pursue peace between people in this world. For since there is so much separation and division in this world, one must strive to bring together that which is divided. Okay? So there's your first taste of the Maharal. What is he saying here? Okay? And now just to like include what he says about loving all people, just so we see that this is actually a commentary. How does that fit into the description he's just given? He says and and so he said that one should love all people for this characteristic is needed for one who pursues peace. For this is the attempt to, this meaning pursuing peace is the attempt to connect one person to another. Remember the world is characterized by division and debate. So your job is to link people back together. So that person especially must love other people and see themselves as one with all people. That's what Yael was saying. That's what Bobby was was starting to say, All right? So there's a lot here, there's a lot here. But let me start by asking you this. Do you think this is true? Is the world characterized by, by debate and division Right. And if so, like how how is this an answer? How is this an answer? Okay, so I saw a hand just go up. Pay I
3: mean, he's Hegelian. This is dialectics, thesis plus antithesis, equals synthesis. So it's a, I mean people will call him Marxist or Hegelian viewpoint in which the opposite and the things form to form something else in order for it to keep on going. But the difference is in Hegel there's an ultimate truth, which he also believes in. So, yeah, I believe in this.
1: Okay, but but how are you reading that into this passage? Because I mean, he's, we're we're actually quite right. The Maharal is a kind of proto-Hegelian, and he he, he says actually, uh, One thing is known from its opposite. He often speaks in opposites. But why why is it why are there opposites here? What do you mean by that?
3: Because in order to love someone else, it's almost counterintuitive to what we always think. So we're thinking of self-preservation and the counterintuitiveness of self-preservation is loving someone else and the two of them coming together equals peace on earth, because you have to have both as a new synthesis.
1: Okay, all right, all right, that's interesting. I want to add where, where I thought you, uh, you, you might be going, which is that machloket itself is like, uh, is two opposites, and bringing people together is synthesizing those opposites. All right, and that also might be part of the way the Maharal is looking at it. Okay, great. Richard Fogel,
2: I try to get unmuted. Um, this seems to hinge on something that's come up in the last couple of uh, weeks, Parsha, about uh, uh, settling arguments to bring the Jewish people together that if there's too many arguments, and we, we spread apart, we're, we lose our power, our, our essence. Mm. There's so many things about, you know, the debate about Aaron being a peacemaker, why did he make the golden calf? Because he was trying to stop the, uh, the fighting, the arguing, etc. And, uh, and Hallel seems to have been born at a time when that was a very big issue. This, is, you know, first, en- uh, first century BCE, they're just the environment to have Christianity split off and other arguments that are that earth shaken.
1: Great, I was, uh, I, I, I love you for that, Richard. I, I was I was hoping we would get there eventually. There's something, the Maharal never says this, but there's something striking about his commentary. It's almost ironic because Hillel and Shammai were kind of known to be the founders of debate. So how can he be saying that Hillel's teaching us that you have to resolve debates when Hillel is the person by our traditions recording that sort of brought debate into the world, right? But maybe that's just it, right? Maybe it's as the Talmud teaches, the reason that we go like Hillel is because Hillel could see both sides and Hillel was seeking resolution and Hillel understood that beyond all philosophical debates, you had to see each other as, as fundamentally united and related and loving one another. So that seems incredibly relevant here too. Um all right let's see if we can get a couple more comments in before we close we're going to try to keep this to an hour um Ariella
2: um also i think that throughout judaism that there has always been the opposing side um, gets acknowledged that we don't just report on the winning or one opinion, the most popular opinion. All opinions are honored. And I think that that is showing up here as well. The fact that um, unlike other traditions where whatever is has been agreed upon, that's what people Hear about, but they don't hear that there was a debate. In we're noted for um, good, making I, sure that all sides get accounted.
1: I, I love that. I love that. That's a great way of 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 threading a needle through a lot of our our class our most classic teachings, which is to say, um, you know, Richard was starting to to go here and and to to point out that. Hillel and Shammai, these schools, they found the concept of the debate, but we also know that debate, the, the debate of Hillel and Shammai are considered Machloket l'shem shamayim, debates for the sake of heaven. They're, in other words, and, and the Talmud said, famously says, chayim. both of these are true. And debate in our tradition is not about warring the way Cain and Abel did, but actually, um the point of of celebrating debate in our tradition is to say actually debates represent two sides of a greater unity and maybe philosophically if you come to understand that then you come to understand that no one is truly your enemy that everybody has a piece of the truth and maybe all understood that. And maybe it was particularly important for him to understand that because he was such a Baal Mahloket, he was engaged in debate. But if he could start by saying, but love everyone first, first understand that you're part of a Tzibor, a, a greater community, then, then you can have these divisions and still recognize, as Ariella said so, so wisely, that all voices are in at the end. That we've recorded every voice of debate. Okay, all right, uh, let's see. I think we have time for maybe one last comment from Allison Goldman.
3: Oh, cool. Um, so when you were describing this practice of studying Pirkei vote at this time of year, it made me think about the other thing we do at this time of year, which is the counting of the Omer. And it occurred to me that, you know, love, is it love your neighbor or what Hillel was saying that we have to begin with love, love all beings?
1: Well, yeah, what's hateful to your neighbor, don't. He actually gives the negative formulation, but yes.
3: Negative formulation. Yeah, well, it's sort of, it's not all of what he says, but it's the first thing that he says. And when we count the Omer, the first week of the Omer that we count is chesed, is love and kindness. And then we go on, we continue to add in new things. We have chesed and then we have givurah. And this week we're in the week of Tiferet, which is harmony, balance between the two, between love and discipline. Um, and I think that Hillel is kind of capturing something similar.
1: Okay, you're going to a very mystical place, very esoteric, <laughs> but that's okay because I think the Maharal like, is secretly going there as well. And exactly. I think, <laughs> and, and, I think you're, and I think you're right that the Maharal probably sees, that the world, the highest world, is made up of these kind of these principles, these, these noble principles, and ultimately all of those principles, these spherot, the emanations of God, some of which are love, and some of which are judgment, and some of which are strength, and some of which are softness. You know, there's they're all ultimately united in the one, the Ein Sof. That's, that's what the Kabbalah teaches is that there are 10 forces of God, but they're not 10 gods. There are 10 manifestations of God. And so if we can unite all of the forces of the world into one higher, and yet recognize there are many different forces operating in the world, but there's one higher force that is God, then maybe we can see that all of our different characters and ways of being are also part of a whole. Okay, and part of one claw. Okay, with that said, and remembering again um, Bobby's language of remembering that we're like a part of a whole, that's exactly the, the last piece I'll share with you is that's exactly what the Maharal says about this not separating yourself from the congregation. So this is the piece that we'll end with tonight. Um, as we begin to think about what it means to see and this 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 group has just just really brilliantly done this this work just now, to see that some of what Hillel might be teaching through the lens of the Maharal is that, that how do do we love other people? How do we love all people? We have to come to understand something about the nature of people, and maybe to understand something about the nature of the world itself. So let's take a look here um, at where the Maharal um, uh, leaves us off tonight. The words of Hillel, now this is the second chapter, the words of Hillel have been recorded here as well. For he is explaining the importance of the community, Hatsibor, which is the opposite of the individual, who is insignificant with respect to the community. Now, that's a strong statement. And part of the reason I wanted to teach this tonight is, uh, you know, among other things, it's important to recognize that Judaism is not a rugged individualistic philosophy. At least not, not this strain of it. The individual is insignificant with respect to the community. That is why he says, do not separate yourself from the community. And now it starts to get a little abstract, so brace yourself. For the community is the whole, the klal. And so they endure, hen What does that mean? That is, the community has a more lasting existence. Ishkiyum yoteer. Therefore, one who separates from the community separates from something with more lasting existence. Furthermore, because the whole includes all, so it has the power of all. So one who separates from the community separates from the power of all and stands outside. And listen to this. And once one is outside of the all, one is considered to be nothing at all. For one has left the whole." It's like, it's so abstract that it becomes almost poetry, right? One, once one has left the all, one is, is considered nothing at all. Hevel, he says. Okay, so let's just, we're out of time, but let's just, this is, we, we were kind of heading in this direction. Yeah, El started us off heading in this direction. And we've sort of arrived now at, uh, we, we processed a lot of Hillel's communitarian thinking, but also I think we've arrived at a sense of, of where the, how the Maharal is gonna approach ethics for us. Okay, so just to summarize what he just said, there's something called the whole, the Klal, or we might translate as the general or the collective, the whole, okay? And the whole endures and the whole, it has lasting existence and the whole is more powerful. Now we need another hour to process what all of that means and then he goes so far as to say the individual is not not important but with respect to the whole it becomes lo nechshav it's not it doesn't exist at all because it's swallowed up into the whole okay now where do we go with that well i think just as we come to a close here we might ask the question what else is whole what else is all God is the all. God is the, the, the thing that, that unites all other things. That's the ultimate reality. That's the Ein Sof. That's the world beyond this world. So notice he never mentions God. He doesn't say God, but he's putting what you might we might say, in theological language, he's putting it in philosophical language, and that's part of what he does. But he also, I think, is giving an answer to the question that Yael sort of implicitly raised at the beginning, which is, how do we how how can we be told to feel a thing? How can we be ordered to feel something? What if I don't love all people? And part of the Maharal's answer, I think, is, that you need to understand something first. You need to understand the essential nature of reality. And the essential nature of reality is unity. It appears to you in this world that everything's divided, that people are divided, that everything is fractured and broken, but that's not the essence of things. And if you can understand the essence of things, then how you feel about it is is not the question. Because you will love people inherently, because you will understand that everything is connected. Everything is—they are you, and you are them, and we are all—we are all part of the all. And if you're not tapped into that, you might as well not exist. Okay? So that is—that's—that's that's a taste of of the maharal and a taste of what we'd we'll be doing for the next five weeks. I certainly hope you join us um, every Monday for now the next four at six p.m. Great uh, to be. Uh, studying with you again to be preparing for um for the torah to be walking the path of life good to see you all
0: hi it's rabbi brass again thank you so much for listening want more content like this i hope you'll subscribe and please Consider making a contribution to IKAR so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit, and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you, maybe even in person, sometime soon.